right, everyone. Hello and welcome to another First Impressions podcast, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and give a big middle finger to all the haters. I am Margaret and I am, as always, joined by the hostess with the mostest, Kristen. Hello. And today we have a very special guest. We have returning to the podcast, Kristen's husband, Kevin. Hello. Hi. Okay, so. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Awkward already. Yeah. So you've probably noticed because I'm doing the intro that we are doing another one of our little mini pods, and which is what we call our little quarantine, little snippets of joy from our podcast. And we don't want to bring you a full 90 minute or two hour or three hour long episode. And today is another crazy departure because we're not talking about Jane Austen. We are instead talking about something else that I have been obsessed with since last October, The Mandalorian. What's that I hear? Is that the dulcet tones of The Mandalorian theme? That's right. It's Disney Plus's signature new series. The Mandalorian takes place in the Star Wars universe and features, of course, Baby Yoda. Everybody's favorite! (laughs) So The Mandalorian premiered back in October and it became an instant sensation. I had never seen a property that was able to keep such a big secret, like the reveal of Baby Yoda at the end of the first episode. There was no merchandise available and the internet lost its mind because everybody wanted a piece of that baby. But that's not the only reason why the show is amazing. I would say it's probably my favorite Star Wars property now which is kind of an amazing thing to say, considering I've been a fan basically as long as I can remember. I don't even remember the first time I saw the Star Wars movies. I just had cultural knowledge of them from the womb. But it's just really revolutionized and injected the series with new energy to me. And when I found out that Kevin was a fan, I knew that we had to do a mini pod about it. So Kevin, why don't you start off by telling the world, uh, maybe your experience with Star Wars and how you felt about The Mandalorian. Sure. And I guess I I am a little surprised because I thought we were talking about Jane Austen's The Mandalorian. (laughs) That is one of her lesser known works. Um, It was never published, just started about a intergalactic bounty hunter who has the Mandalore, who follows the way. But yes, no, we are talking about the Star Wars Mandalorian. Okay. All right. So let me just reset. The the Jane Austen Mandalorian has a lot more of um, social satire, I think. Um, (laughs) And of course, there's a wedding at the end. Yeah. But yeah. Baby Yoda marries Baby Yaddle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And and there's a lot of like scholarly conversation about whether she actually just supported the dark side or the light side. And I mean, that thing's original, right? She just ripped off samurai stories. (laughs) Uh, So Kevin, uh, what is your, how do you get in? How did you get into Star Wars? What's your experience with the franchise? Uh, So I um, watched uh, all of the original Star Wars movies a, a ton when I was a kid found them to be some of my favorite movies when I was younger. They're very easy to kind of get into when you're a kid, um, mm-hmm. but they they reward rewatching a lot because um, as you grow older, you can appreciate different things about them as well. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're younger, it's just like, wow, lasers and space fights. And then you can pick up on some more interesting things over time as you dive into that. So I watched that a lot as a kid. And then um, growing up, um, played the video games, some from the LucasArts. And then when all the prequels came out, certainly was was early uh, in line for all of those to watch them. And I think I had the experience of a lot of people where um, you kind of start excited for each one and then... Mm-hmm. You, so disappointing. Yeah, you leave a little disappointed. But that didn't kill my, my fandom at all. You know, still totally into it um, and continued to watch the, the new continuation, uh, you know, Ray and, and Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, and enjoyed those as well. So, I mean, not to the same extent. I think we all have our own kind of uh, thoughts on that series. But uh, it's a universe that I think allows for a lot of enjoyment because the original universe that George Lucas set up is so interesting. And you're kind of drawn into these little corners of it. And that's something I really loved about The Mandalorian. It tells uh, this story um, about something that exists in this universe but doesn't really need to be tied completely to everything else. And it also doesn't have the way some of the newer movies have ties to the old ones, but with a wink. So the way like, what's your name? Han Solo. Uh, (laughs) You know, so there's little bits of it, but it doesn't try to like, just give you that kind of fan service in that way. 
Yeah. Um, it's it's worried about telling its own story and and sort of fleshing out these interesting you know parts of that universe and following a character that exists in a, in in that world. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the things that some people criticize George Lucas for for the original trilogy is how much he drew um, from classic mythology, classic fantasy, even other cultures. I mean, there's definitely he loved samurai movies, and that's very clear in the Jedi and in the original trilogy. But I think that was actually pretty brilliant because he's telling stories that are a part of every cultural's kind of like I was saying shared memory. So you have a huge sandbox to play in, right? And like you were saying, the Mandalorian kind of occupies this small corner of it where we're going to focus on the Japanese samurai and classic American westerns. But even within that, you have heist episode. You have all of these different themes that you can explore. Um, and I, I think it's brilliant. So the people who are involved with creating the Mandalorian are also some of the people who were involved with kicking off the Marvel uh, shared cinema universe, right? So, oh, what is his name? <laughs> uh, John Favreau. Thank you. John Favreau is basically the guy, the showrunner for The Mandalorian. And you can see that they benefit from having someone kind of steering the ship, right? I don't know if you've been watching the new Disney Plus series right now where they kind of do an eight-episode documentary about the making of The Mandalorian, but it's just really, oh, it's so good. Um, All of the directors were on set for all of the episodes, even though one of them would be in charge of that episode. Everyone was involved in the process from the very beginning. It was none of this kind of like network style where we write a couple scripts, we see where it goes, we see what works. They knew from the very beginning everything they were going to do. And it's just really brilliant. Each episode has different themes, explores different parts of the characters, different parts of the world, but it all still feels like a cohesive whole. So I highly recommend everyone watch it. It's really good. Um, And I like that it really defied fans' expectations too. And all we knew going in was that it was called The Mandalorian. And at least in terms of my experience with Star Wars, I've seen the original trilogy. I've read some of the novels. I had seen Rebels and Clone Wars, the animated series. Um, Not all of it, but some of it. The only Mandalorian I knew about was Boba Fett, right? And I guess Jenga Fett from the original trilogy. But we didn't know what it meant to be a Mandalorian. And this series has just completely changed what we thought we knew. Boba Fett isn't actually a Mandalorian. He's just a bounty hunter who thought Mandalorian armor was cool. It turns out the Mandalorians aren't a race at all. It's a creed. And they live by a very specific, very harsh set of rules, including that you can never take off your helmet. If you do, you can never put it back on. One of the challenges the show has, but I think that they absolutely succeeded at, was you have a main character whose face we can never see, right? We see it once in the entire first season. And Pedro Pascal, who you might know from Game of Thrones, plays the Mandalorian. And his acting and his physicality and his ability to emote through that. Suki agrees with every point I'm making. This is great. (laughs) Uh, Is one of the reasons why I think the show is so successful. If he's just a blank... We have no connection to him, but he is still able to act and emote through that. And so we feel for him and we're tied to him and we're along for the ride. But of course, we have to talk about Baby Yoda. So Kevin, at the end of the first episode, which is all about an asset, right? He's a bounty hunter. He's been tasked with finding an asset. And at the very end, we get the reveal that everyone is trying to get. And what is it? It's a little baby, whatever Yoda is. So what did you think? Did you freak out? Were you just like, huh? Or like, were you excited by that? Uh, I was excited by by that reveal. Um, they did such a good job, as you said, kind of not letting that spoiler out that I think yeah. um, I didn't know what, what exactly they'd be kind of trying to track down there as the asset. I think they made the baby Yoda puppet so cute that oh no matter... God. Like what you just saw, it and you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so it's it was just the recognizable, right? You yeah. know, you're like, oh my god, yeah, it's that thing that Yoda is, but 
little, but yeah. 50 years old, you feel like he does where I would die for this thing. Exactly. <laughs> I just, Immediately. Yeah. I was ready to die for that puppet, yeah. even though yeah, it wasn't real. Like, I know. It's, and so that is also one of the, I think, triumphs of the show. Apparently when they were filming it, they would film the scenes twice, once with the puppet and once without a puppet where they could fill in for CG. One of the actors who is in the show is this big German weirdo. Nate, what is his name? Herzog? Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog, who... He's a director. He's also a director, yes. He directed those movies about the guy, the the grizzly man who ended up being killed by a... It was very weird. But he's an actor in the show. And apparently at one point, he looked at the directors and he said, why are we doing this? Bring back the puppet, you cowards. Yeah. <laughs> Because they were doing it both ways, right? They didn't know what they wanted to do. Like, will the puppet work? We're not sure. We're going to leave. And he was just like, you're a coward. The puppet is amazing. He said, he's heartbreaking yeah. because he's German. He just, he adored that puppet. And I can't wait to see how they do that. I know that they have different guys doing the different animatronic aspects of it, but it's a fucking triumph. Yeah. I, mean, so I guess it sounds like when he said, like, I would like to see the baby. Yeah. That was unscripted. <laughs> that was just him wanting to see it after, like, lunch. Uh, but I don't know about you guys, but I basically, every time that show starts or something, I also say, I would like to see the baby. Yeah. That's, like, what I say. One of the things that I say now. Uh, so that show just instantly became part of my, like, when you make, you know, in-jokes and funny like pop culture jokes that is now like 50% of the jokes that I made and yeah, I have I think current count is six baby Yoda t-shirts maybe oh nice <laughs> you <laughs> gotta get that seventh to go for the full week the full, yeah, I will the say that uh, Mandalorian is a very quotable show but uh, my favorite line to constantly do is I have spoken yeah <laughs> No argument. I have spoken. Yeah. Classic Ugnot. <laughs> Classic Ugnot. Why are, why are we still talking about this? I told you. What I, yeah, I still exactly. <laughs> and what you were, you were talking about this earlier, Kevin, you were saying that it's part of the universe, but it's not completely tethered to it. You have to actually pay very close attention to figure out when in the timeline of the other movies it takes place like they they don't start it off by like hey all this stuff happened and here we you know there's no title card there's none of that you you quickly are within the first three episodes you can figure out oh, okay we're about 10 years after jedi return of the jedi right um but only if you listen to some of the dialogue cues uh, that you're given. You you could go into the show having no idea when it takes place, and that's okay. Yeah, it can kind of exist by itself, even if you didn't know that. But if you if you know the rest of the stories, you can get something else out of it, but yeah. it doesn't try to hit you over the head with it. My Star Wars, Star Wars thing is that I was totally out of the culture from the beginning. And um, when I went into it, there was all this reference about the First Order and the Empire. I'm like, I don't remember... Yeah. what where we are but i was even able to enjoy it without worrying about any of that and star wars the richness of the universe lends itself to that right like you can tell all the stories in the world because now we have this giant world where all kinds of things can be happening and for me that's what also made rogue, rogue one such a valuable story yeah. in the movie rogue one and where they took this one throwaway line like many rebels died and then they're like this is a huge, massive, rich universe with millions of denizens all living their own life stories. Let me show you what happened. And I absolutely loved that window into that world. But yes, I also enjoyed it very much without having any context for where they were. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing about Star Wars too. You don't need, it's so huge and so massive and such a part of our American culture. Even if you don't know, you're like, oh, I've never seen a movie. You know what a stormtrooper is. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you you know. So in the last episode, when Giancarlo Esposito, who I adore, when he shows up and you, he's kind of the guy who has been behind the scenes the whole time trying to get the child, which is what they call Baby Yoda. When he shows up and he's in his TIE fighter and he comes out and you just know that he's the big bad. Like we yeah. just know that you don't. And the show does a good job of telegraphing that too. And at the very end, when he has his dark saber, I was just freaking out. So this show is just so good. Even as someone who thinks that they have a pretty good handle on star Wars, there were so many surprises 
in it. And I really respect them. And if you watch the documentary, I think it's called Disney Gallery. Is that what's the show called? They release episodes every Monday. You can. It's very apparent how, the love that the, the makers have for the source material. Yeah, I think it's that just, um, yeah. Darksaber reveal at the end is really fun. And I think, you know, speaks to what you said about um, them kind of plotting it all throughout is that uh, it kind of worked perfectly as all these standalone stories. But then also you're left with this this cliffhanger that holds together, but keeps you really interested uh, in yeah. where we're going for the next season. And they did a nice job casting great actors throughout as oh, well. Yeah. So so you have someone like Giancarlo Esposito, who just kind of has that menacing presence mm-hmm. and gravitas to him. So just when he appears, you're already kind of like sold, as you said, on him being the big bad. And they did that throughout. I mean, they cast really great people like uh, yeah. Gina Carano as Cara Dune. I was not familiar with her, um, but I found I've read several and seen several interviews with her. And what I found very moving is obviously she comes from um, like real fight, like UFC style, like real fighting. Like she could really destroy you in real life. Um, but she's done a couple movies and a couple shows. And she said this was the first time as an actor she showed up and she didn't feel like she is not what you would typically think as like a female actor. Right. But she said, I showed up and they just, this character, I did, I was me being looking the way I am. I've never felt actually more like a woman in a production than this because everything that I am, that other people considered a drawback, like I'm tall, I have big muscles, all this stuff. They wanted that and they loved it. And of course, Werner Herzog, big weirdo, totally perfect in this Carl Weathers. The thing I really like about Carl Weathers playing this character, uh, he plays kind of the head of the bounty hunter guild, right? So he's charming and a charlatan, but you never know. You never know if you can trust what he's telling you. And the thing I really like about Carl Weathers is that I wouldn't say he's a fantastic actor, but he is so charismatic. I can't tell if he's lying to characters or not. As an audience member, I also have no idea if he's going to betray someone or not, but he definitely has just that beautiful voice and that energy about him. So I also heard he gets shot in the second episode. He was supposed to die. The plan was for his character to die and not come back, but they loved Carl Weathers so much because how couldn't you? They wrote him back into the last two episodes, which I thought was great. Yeah, I, I'm glad to have him around. As you said, um, he's not who you would normally think of as like a powerhouse actor, but he's the yeah. perfect kind of guy for that role where you're you're looking for someone who's charming and you don't know whether to believe. And yeah. a big shout out is for his role in Arrested Development, which is mm. fantastic if you haven't seen his work <laughs> See, in I that. Always, I always think of him from Predator, oh, yeah. which is kind of a deep dive. But um, we used to watch a lot of inappropriate action movies when I was a kid. And that was one of my favorites. I would watch Predator all the time. And he's so also he's great, great in Happy Gilmore. So that is he. Oh that's where God. he's from. Yeah. Yes, he's jumps from yeah. Happy Gilmore. Like, Damn, Peter took my hand. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot that that was him. He's so funny in that. Yeah. Can I say something too on a slightly different line? Um, I'm sorry if I missed you guys talking about this because I was trying to deal with the dogs barking fits, but um. For me, when I watched The Mandalorian, it seemed from the very beginning to be, as you said, Maggie, super carefully plotted and set up to the point where I could tell, I felt like what they were doing is almost along the lines of a novel, right? Yeah. Where they're trying to build, you know, world build. And I mean, I guess every show to an extent is like that, but they were very careful about it to the point where Kevin and I had an argument because we watched, when we watched episode two of The Mandalorian, Kevin was like, nothing happened. And I was like, what are you talking about? There's all this like character development and there were all these like, you know, little transactions and, you know, they had to do this one big thing, which is, I think, is that the episode where baby Yoda holds the rhino? Yes. Yeah. I think that's the, so episode, it's yeah. the Jawas have take, have stripped his ship and he has to, it's just like a classic kind of quest episode, right? Right. Like, so if he wants to be able to leave, he has to defeat this monster and get this egg and take it to the Jawas. But that is when we first see baby Yoda's ability to use the force. Right. But the stakes are much, much smaller. We're not saving the universe in every episode like we are saving the universe in every Star Wars movie. The stakes are like, oh, crap, how do I get from here to there? How do I fix my ship? There was their, like, they were doing like a monster of the week style. Like, yeah, it's an obstacle of the week style. 
And, and they're also, it's an odyssey, right? So every time they're moving from place to place, looking for a home, looking for a port in the yeah. storm, um, which lends itself to endless storytelling, right? They did a good job setting it up for something episodic that would still keep your interest. I don't know exactly why I felt that way at the time, but I would like to say for the record, um, I am dumb and was wrong. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's okay. I mean, that is, that is a, we're dumb that's wrong. A, that's a great point, Kristen, where... I hadn't really considered that, but this show also is drawing on one of the very classic mythological um, basis of stories, which is like you were saying, the Odyssey, um, like one of the oldest Western stories that we have, where Guy is just trying to get from A to Z and all of these things happen, or from even A to B, but it ends up being A to Z because all of these (laughs) things keep happening that prevents him from doing it talking about the structure and how well plotted and planned it is, I feel so safe watching this show. To me, it's soothing. When the coronavirus first started being a thing and nobody knew what was happening and there was a lot of, I mean, there's still anxiety, but back then we really didn't know what to expect. I would just listen to the soundtrack because I found it soothing. Mm -hmm. And Bay would be like, why do you find the soothing? It's it's like an action show. It's um, <laughs> a lot of it is very tense and stuff. But for me, because I trusted what they were doing and I knew that they knew what, what they were doing, that watching it for me, yes, there are tense parts and stuff like that, but I just always know that they will genuinely surprise me and it will be great. I don't ever worry watching The Mandalorian. Even after after the first episode, I had no doubt I wouldn't thoroughly enjoy all of it. So it was almost like because it's so well-constructed, you felt the planning and you felt like this is a safe space someone has built for me to enjoy a thing I love. Yeah, and exactly. And then the, the, I just the music triggered that. If you want to just compare it to a lot of network shows, for example, Lost, like we all knew that they had no idea what they were doing. And it was still <laughs> fun to watch and fun to explore the world, but I never actually got into all of the extra stuff with Lost because I they had, I knew they didn't know what they were doing. Like, why am I going <laughs> to spend all my time on something that is going to be probably disappointing? Uh, but with The Mandalorian, I don't mind being obsessed with it because they are also obsessed with it. And they've put so much care into the details and it really shows. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, that makes total sense that even in a tense episode or a story that can have, you know, uh, beats that are uh, downers. Um, if you feel like the person's taking the time to carefully construct a world, that your investment in that is still worthwhile. And it's not going to be taken away from you and just slapdash storytelling at the end where you're yeah, like, why did I invest any of this time anyway? And if there's sadness or tragedy, it's the emotion has been earned. Um, If a character dies, it's in service to the story they're telling. It's not just because they need like a ratings grab or whatever. I just have a lot of respect for the people making the show. And I think they do a great job. And it's also funny. I mean, you've got Taika Waititi directing an episode and he bring and voicing one of the characters and his absurd energy to the finale episode was so great. It was it's okay. He, you, it's okay to laugh during the show. And yeah. I also really appreciate that too. Well, talking about characters that shouldn't die in the first episode, IG 11 gets shot in the head and you think his storyline is done. And I turned to Kevin and I said, that was the best character. That was the most exciting character so far. Why would they, you know, take him away? And I should have had trust in the show because this show is very trustworthy with our time, right? Like yeah. it's, and our, our patience and our investment. I um, Maybe this is too late to bring a, this up, but when you're talking about Lost and they didn't know what they were doing. So Stephen King has this theory. If you read his book on writing, he's like, all writing is just taking a tiny little, you know, like when they do paleontology and they dig up dinosaur bones, just taking this tiny little brush and just brushing the dirt away until the bones emerge. And then the story emerges that way which he has done some of the most striking, most creative, most brilliant stuff, but constant criticism of his novels is that they they do not end well. Yeah, they Because he down. has no plan at all. So to come into a world that's well-structured, is you, you it gives you a feeling of confidence and like, oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait, you know? Yeah, for me, it's, I don't know, it's a relief. I, I am not a big fan of show. So, for example, things like Twin Peaks. I watched Twin Peaks and I really enjoyed it and it was crazy and everyone loved it. But I also 
never trusted that it would be cohesive or coherent or tell an actual story. It's, I mean, most of David Lynch's stuff to me is just like fever dreams. I love that you brought that up too, because he never wanted to tell to tell anyone right. who killed Laura Palmer. And yeah. then I completely agree. Once they revealed that the show had nowhere to go and they did that, all this bizarre stuff in these side storylines and it made no sense. Um, that Twin Peaks to me is one of my favorite shows of all time. If it had just ended when they revealed who killed Laura yeah. Palmer, it would be a perfect season, even season in two episodes, I think, of television. And uh, yeah, I could. I want to do another Twin Peaks mini pod now because I could talk. Oh, about okay, yeah, pod. that would be great. I'd love to. <laughs> I haven't done a rewatch. Uh, they released like a big box set on DVD maybe like ten years ago, and I think that was the last time I did a rewatch. I, but I don't I'm feel sorry. comfortable watching Twin Peaks, and oh, that's no. part of what David Lynch doesn't want you to feel no. comfortable. He no. wants you to be upended and not know what's real. And in The Mandalorian, there's adventure and emotion and characters, but I, the experience of watching it is just fun. It's just pleasurable. I don't have to worry about shitty storytelling or terrible scripts or nobody knowing what's going on. I can just trust the, the makers that it's going to be good and just have fun. I will say if there's one thing from Twin Peaks, though, that I wish thematically could kind of make an appearance in The Mandalorian is pie. Yeah. (laughs) It does. You know what? That's a good point. Mandalorian could use more food porn overall. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? It actually could. It would be great world building. We've gotten soup broth. We've gotten broth. That broth is adorable when it's in. Adorable broth sipping. Yeah. And what he else eats some flopping fishes at one point. Yeah, there's some like blue shrimp. Yeah, those like <laughs> krill things. Yeah, and some frogs. You could have the Mandalorian struggle with trying to eat a piece of cherry pie with his helmet on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Did I ever tell you guys about when Bay sat on the cherry pie? No. No, I don't. Okay, know. so you can edit this out if you want, but it's a really funny story. Oh. So <laughs> my Bay is in the background <laughs> indicating no. <laughs> So my Aunt Kim runs a big church festival every year. And part of it is they have a big bake sale. So we got a cherry pie and we split it. So I had a piece that we took home and I had wrapped it in um, cling wrap, right? And uh, it was in the refrigerator and cherry pie is good. I'm not, I'd rather have like chocolate rather than a fruit pie. So I took it into the bedroom for for Bay because we used to watch, we had a DVD player and a TV um, on the wall in the bedroom. So he was fiddling with it and standing there. And I said, okay, I brought you some pie and I put it on the bed. But if he's doing something and I talk to him, it doesn't register. So I stood up and started doing something else. And then he just sat down and it was this like squelch. (laughs) He thought it was meat. He thought he had sat on like a piece of meat. And he just he just looks at me with this like wide-eyed look of terror. And I just I died. I lost it. I laughed so hard. And the best part, the cellophane had held everything. It didn't like make a mess. It was just completely flat. The piece of pie was completely flattened. What happened in Bay's life previously that when he sits down on a squishy thing, he anticipates it's meat? (laughs) It was just sound? I don't know. But it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. That's the telltale sound of a butt heating meat. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just sat down and ate it, and it said it was good. So He ate it? He ate it! (laughs) It had the cellophane covering it. It I would have eaten it. But structurally, it's become like... Pancake. Yeah, it's already goo, though. I mean, it's yeah. kind of pretty goo. It all looks the same going in and coming out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. The Mandalorian does need more cherry pie. Although I think that they are more of like a meat pie. Oh, yes. They're like very New Zealandy y meat. Mixed, yes. Yeah. yeah. I see more of like a meat pie situation happening. What so would you just, like to see going forward in The Mandalorian? That like is for exactly real, beyond what pies. I was going to yeah. ask you. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I don't even know this show. They, I love being surprised when I watch shows and it seems like every episode they have something that surprises me. And I, that's one of the reasons I love it so much. Um, I will definitely continue the kind of traveling aspect of it. I think, uh, at the end of the first season, 
We have the threat from the former empire is still very real. We don't know why they want the child. I assume it's for some kind of cloning because of his force power. But he was, he, they became a clan of two. Oh my God. Uh, and he was basically tasked by the, I call her the blacksmith Mandalorian with finding where the child is from. So I think that will probably p- play a part. I don't know though. Who knows? What do you think? Do you have any predictions? Um, I think that's right on. And that's kind of really what I'm hoping for. I like the first season so much. I, I kind of just expect it to continue and uh, unravel the kind of mysteries they set up now with hopefully the same kind of structure where you have each week uh, kind of has its own uh, interesting story, but it's moving you towards something right. um, and, and sort of answering those questions and exactly expanding that mystery of what the remnants of the empire want with, with yeah. the child slash baby Yoda. And this is in between the time of the the fall of the Empire and the rise of the First Order. So it could eventually, I don't know how many seasons they have plopped out, but it could eventually tie in to the second trilogy by kind of establishing how we got to that point. Clearly, there are still pieces of the Empire that are active. Um, I think that when we see... Giancarlo Esposito's character, I think they're like, wait, I thought he was like put to death in the trials or something like that. Like clearly big leaders in the empire have escaped and are still cons- powerful people. And so even that aspect of it is interesting because um, I think there might be novels, but unless you've read those, you don't really know what happens in that space between the original trilogy and the new trilogy. Um, so that can be something to develop on the periphery as we watch the Mandalorian story. I hope we see, um, and I, I think that we'll see a lot more Kara. I know that she's been on set for season two. I look forward to new characters. I look forward to old characters. I don't know. It's so good, you guys. I it's just so forward, good. I, I, I look forward to something that's not really plot related, but I look forward to the development more of the Mandalorian's sense of fatherhood and Mm -hmm. family having grown up between him and baby Yoda, because I think that's the, the sweetness that keeps us all incredibly hooked in as we want to see more of that person, like character growth. Because for me, not um, being a little bit unmoored from the story's context, that for me was still what made it accessible. And my mom even watching, I was like, did she have any idea what's going on? She was like, you got to watch it. You got to watch it, baby Yoda. Right. (laughs) Um, And the moments that they were able to build in were just so sweet, but for me, incredibly bittersweet because he almost, he, he forsook, he had forsaken his original Mandalorian clan family in that episode, which was titled the sin, right? Which, you know, what he did was incredibly like, you know, he's a bounty hunter and he completely undercut the, the, everybody's confidence in the guild, that family, his Mandalorian family had to flee and they, you know, they all took their helmets off. I mean, you're, like, you're it, referring to when he fulfilled the contract by giving the child to the client, but then later goes back and rescues him yes. and exposes the Mandalorians that were on that planet. Yes. They all have to come out because they're in but hiding. They still come out. Oh my, that is, I have chills just even thinking about it when they all come out and help protect him and the child who is now a foundling yes. under Mandalorian Creed. And he's like, what are you doing here? Like you're, you're, you're now going to have to, everyone's going to have to leave. And they're like, this is the way we protect our own. Oh, it doesn't matter. What we have is what matters. The script writing genius of taking certain phrases and imbuing them with more and more meaning over time gets to the point where you can just say this is the way and almost like in those contexts tears spring to your eyes because so much has been sacrificed for the way to stay with the way that that's another emotional tie you have this investment and you wanting these people to succeed in in their you know we don't see a lot of religion i feel like in modern shows that we watch for fun even in game of thrones you know it was uh there's a little bit more lip service paid to it i don't know i didn't watch later seasons i don't know where aria goes with that like faceless guy nowhere good it's not a religion that can lift you up and inspire you but when you do say this is the way it is a made-up religion however we have now an emotional resonance as we understand the 
underpinnings of that. And it's beautiful, right? In a way, in a, in a way it's beautiful. What I find um, the thing about it is that when you say this is the way it implies that it's at least with their moral code that you do what is right, even if there is cost associated with it. And it plays into kind of a sense of justice for me yes. that like, in our society, if you see a wrong, if you take action, it can have negative consequences for you. Right. But it's like, this is the way, like we can't just stand by while these things are done and do nothing. So at the end of that episode, when he's like, oh, but all of this stuff is like, but this is the way, like, this is how we choose to live our lives. And it is a choice. It's a creed. Right. It's yeah. So you chose, you choose to adopt the way, become a Mandalorian, put on the helmet and you have to live your life by those rules. Even if there's a, even if the cost is great. Incredibly um, high. I'm very excited to find out more about the Mandalorians because what we've seen, it is this incredible sense of justice where when they save, um, I can't remember what his actual name, Mando, when they save Mando when he's a child, it's because he's being attacked by droids from the empire and they fly in and save the people and save him. And he's a foundling. And so what we've seen of the Mandalorians, they're secretive and there's not many of them anymore. Apparently there was a um, attempted genocide from the empire at some point, but they do have strong sense of justice and they act out of justice. And so I'm very interested to learn more about them and the way. I mean, these things stay with us. I mean, I was driving around and I saw a bumper sticker that said Valor, Valor Morghulis, Valor Morghulis, mm. right? Like, but well, yeah, it's a t- cultural touchstone. Just like Kevin was asking me if I like, if I paid the iron price for something the other day. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I think that's a function of fantasy storytelling. Um, yeah. We use fantasy as a way to talk about and think about it's entertainment but we use it as a way to talk about and think about greater themes of our existence and our lives right so when amazing storytellers come up with these layers to place on those themes we 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 grab onto them because at a fundamental human level we understand what they're saying and then they become ways for us to shorthand express it's exactly what we've been talking about all along to bring it back to Jane. I mean, we've had people write us letters. We've seen it in that Jane Austen fan club, you know, the WWJD, what would Jane do? We've seen people writing in and saying, I've always, this is the way I've tried to life, live my life. And to look at these touchstones and to see their resonance. And it's also a theme in a book that we're going to talk about very shortly with the author, Natalie Jenner, talk about her book, The Jane Austen Society coming up, where when you're lost, it's a this is the way moment when you go back to Jane Austen. Sorry to bring Jane Austen into it. No, but well, we are a Jane Austen podcast. I know. <laughs> but maybe that is why all of the uh, weird adaptations of Jane Austen we've seen in the last decade or so, they do put fantasy elements into the stories, right? As just another way to communicate these broader themes with the readership. And Jane Austen, just like fantasy, lends itself to having different types of storytelling brought into it and when the bones are good yes in your story you have a lot more room to play so i think that's something that's true of star wars and something that's true of jane austen yeah. <laughs> well virginia wolf said it's difficult of all the great authors jane austen is the most difficult to catch in the act of greatness and uh, she doesn't have a touchstone phrase that she brings in again and again, which would have been out of place. She doesn't have a this is the way moment. But I think when you have a show and you only have eight episodes and you're it's a totally a fair way to go to about, go about it is to come back to this touchstone and to imbue yeah, it with more say, meaning. You say that, Kristen, but we as readers and fans, we've created our own. For example, I just shared a meme on our Facebook page that said, live each day like Netherfield Park is let it last. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying when I say that. Netherfield Park is little. It's like something huge and exciting and joyful and full of promise has happened. And all I need to do is say that to you and you know what I'm conveying. Yeah. So should we bring This Is The Way into our podcast episodes now? <laughs> I'm definitely going to bring this. I have spoken yeah. Yeah. into our podcast. <laughs> so I'm like, Kristen, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. I've spoken. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, 
what? The other thing I think Mandalorian, I would love it to finally tell me, and I don't know why I need this. I'm so thirsty for this. Tell me the name of the race that baby Yoda is. Because Yoda is a name that was given to an individual, right? We call him baby Yoda because he looks like the Yoda we know. We don't know what he actually is. Well, and this hopefully will pay off with someone who's not George Lucas coming up with the oh name. Oh my God, like, please, please, Like please. Mon Calamari. For- <laughs> Oh, because he's a squid man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if George Lucas was coming, I'd be like, they're called little greenies. <laughs> so in the Disney Galaxy documentary, George Lucas was was on set at several times, and you'll see him chatting with the directors and sitting and looking like through the camera. But I don't know how much George Lucas actually has to do with stuff anymore. So based on what we've seen so far, I think they'll come up with something better than like green dude, like yeah. something that means green dude in Latin yeah. for what their race is. There's one moment. So just to final thoughts, because I have to talk about Baby Yoda some more. And we've already, this is supposed to be a mini pod, but we just like keep going on and on. They even were able to create, even though it's a puppet, they've been able to create a character for the child slash Baby Yoda that, and he has an arc. And it's so beautiful, Kristen, like you were saying of this relationship he has with Mando and the last scene, you know, he comes up and like holds his leg and looks up to him and wants him to pick him up and hold him. And one of the scenes that I really love, it's in my favorite episode. It's the one where they go to the kind of green, it's basically the seven samurai, right? Where they go and they have to protect the little agrarian village from these like mercenaries that are attacking them and they have an imperial walk uh walker they are not he knows what it's called i can't remember what it's called AT something something it's an at it's, it's an not ATST. It's, come on an at yeah. the chicken walker <laughs> we have lots of fights about at at versus at at in this it's house an all-terrain Attack transport. It's called an at at. Okay, the person who made it up calls it an at at. I'm not gonna have this fight. Hack. Okay, Everybody you need to go knows. away. You need to shut the fuck up. Okay, tell him, so, tell him to go sit in a pie. <laughs> tell him you've spoken. <laughs> I've spoken. <laughs> anyway, that's my favorite character, and this is the one where the Mandalorian. They're on the ship, and he goes to the child. He's like, "All right, stay here. Don't touch anything. Don't move." And then, of course, two seconds later, when the hatch goes down, he's standing right next to him, like, let's go! And he's just like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, you can see Pedro Pascal rolling his eyes, even though he's wearing a helmet. But anyway, later in that episode, they are on, like, a little hover wagon, and they are going towards the town, and everyone's getting sleep, and little baby Yoda leans back, and he looks up at the sky, and he sees the, and the stars and the vast sky going by and just for a puppet they give him this look on his face of wonder he's 50 years old but we don't know what happened to him before then I also for season two want to know why did he end up on that planet surrounded by people protecting him why what happened in those 50 years that he got on the empire's radio like where is he from who is he that that scene where he is in awe of the sky implies that he hadn't experienced hardly anything in those 50 years. And so him finally being out and being this like so mischievous and adorable and wanting to experience everything. And he has this arc of forming his family, I thought was really beautiful. And they created a real character. And I love him, you guys. I love him yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> have any lines the expressiveness of the puppet is a real achievement yeah yes and it's heartbreaking yes <laughs> he's heartbreaking <laughs> for a while after we watched the mandalorian everything in our house was a complicated profession <laughs> <laughs> an interesting question from someone in your <laughs> profession <laughs> God, Werner Herzog is such a weirdo, but he's really good. Oh, so oh good. yeah. So I mean, we're so sitting good. here quoting him. He's in three episodes for maybe a total of five minutes screen time, but he makes such an impression. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the charisma. So, in the... uh, so final question. Do you guys have a favorite baby Yoda flipping the switch radio meme? Hmm. <laughs> I haven't what seen is your favorite version? 
Uh, tell me, tell me about some of the options out there. I, I don't I think know I've seen not. There's all kinds of. There's a Toto Africa is a good one. There's a lot of like Swedish death metal versions. Um, I would say so. my favorite is um, the Bohemian Rhapsody one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> my favorite is the Jurassic Park, where someone took Baby Yoda and from that scene and in an amazing like video Photoshop added him to the scene in Jurassic Park where they're cutting the power and Samuel L. Jackson is like, hold on to your butts and he flips it. And then they have baby Yoda, like flip it back on. <laughs> and it's like, and then they go through this three times and then he goes, please, God yeah. damn it. <laughs> it's so good. If you haven't seen it, I'll send it to you. I thought you were going to say the one where the third time it, the musical cue is the Cantina song. That one was pretty great. Yeah, so it's three times, right? And each time he flicks it, it's a different Star Wars theme. And then at yeah. the end, it's, it's the Cantina. It's really yeah. good. <laughs> I think that's my goal for season two is to get deeper into the memes. The memes, yeah. yeah. God, I'm the member of so many Baby Yoda meme groups. I don't know. I think it just came along. It, the show for me came along at this time. I was very anxious and very stressed out and the cuteness of the character and the beauty of the story. And then the hilarity of the memes was just a real source of calmness for me. And I just, I was sharing baby Yoda memes every day because it was something, it was a, something to laugh about. Yeah. And there wasn't much funny going on. I actually, when it first came out, we didn't have, we I mean, we weren't watching it. We didn't get on the bandwagon. And so I was seeing all of these memes with these, this cute puppet. And I was very, feeling very left out. Right. So I was like, oh, he's not that fucking cute. And then so <laughs> I, I, um, I remember that slate.com, this online magazine came out, it was around the holidays, came out with a, how to cook your baby Yoda, uh, <laughs> holiday roast. Whereas all of these like incredibly graphic ways you're going to cook the baby, like, you know, like skin it and whatever. And terrible. I know. And I thought it was hilarious. So (laughs) I actually sent it to Maggie and I was like, I I think I responded to one of your posts about how much you loved him. And I was Mm. like, hey, Maggie, check this out. Bitch. Actually, now looking back, I was like, I would have just been just as horrified to read about all the people. Uh, But it was actually really funny articles. It was about like recipe bloggers and how they would handle like the different backstories and everything. It was really funny. Mm. But um, yeah, sorry. Sorry. I am. I trolled you with the Slate article about how to cook your baby Yoda. What was what's really funny is for from like October to December, I was like deep into the Mandalorian and every bit of news and every new product that was coming out, I knew about. And so people would share things on my wall, like, hey, did you hear about this? And I was like, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I heard about this five fucking days ago. Yeah. Where have you been? But no, but then I'm like, oh, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Like the baby Yoda Margaret Martini or Margarita, like came, like 10 people shared that with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go, I do have a surprise. Is it baby Yoda? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it is not, but I think people are going to like it. So um, I have a few connections at uh, Lucasfilms and I was able to get in contact with a star of, of, of the series. And so uh, I wanted to say hello to um, Babu Freak. <laughs> hey, hey! <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> now, now, Babu, we have a lot of questions, but I know you're short on time. So I think we're going to cut to the chase. What everyone wants to know, what is your favorite way to greet people? Wow! Thank you, you for your time. You do it. You do one. You do I one. I can't do it, Babu Free. <laughs> I can't do it. Hey, hey! <laughs> That's my best one. Do you know that that I think I told you that. Do you know that that Babu Free is voiced by Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter and Jude from Bridget Jones' Diary? What? Yes. Isn't that amazing? It makes me so happy to know that. I think it's so funny that you've let so. My noise that I was making was the little weird thing that hangs out with Java the Hutt. What is his name? Crumb. His name is Salacious Crumb. Salacious. 
get it right. I think it's so funny that you were like obsessed with Babu Freak. I remember after. No, Babu Freak. Babu Freak. Yeah, I remember after those movies, everyone was freaking out. Like there was BB-8 and there was the Porgs and all this stuff. And what was it in the new one that everyone was thinking was so cute? I can't remember, but it was not that. And Kristen was like, oh my God, Bubba Freak is so cute. The little robot. Yeah. Oh yeah, the little robot. Yeah. And I was just like, really, Kristen? This thing? I think I posted on my Facebook page, tired, baby Yoda, wired, Babu Freak. Yeah. I don't know. But it, you're on your own on that one, honey. I don't know. <laughs> okay oh my god this mini pod has turned into an actual pod and yeah. pod. <laughs> it's great it's yeah. great i i embrace this yeah if you've hung in there until the end everyone i think we can strongly if if you've hung until the end we've now completely ruined the mandalorian first season for you so hopefully you've already seen it and we don't need to recommend that you watch it if you've listened and you haven't watched it you need to go watch it it. Absolutely. It is only available on Disney Plus, but there are a lot of ways to get temporary and free memberships. Sign up. You get seven days worth of free trials. Just sign up when you have a lot of time, watch it, cancel it. You don't have to pay a thing. Yeah. I, mean, and I, got a, <laughs> I got a year free from my Verizon wireless. So nice. Um, actually, which of course, see, Disney's so fucking smart. Second season of Mandalorian will premiere right after, like a week after mm. Disney Plus premiered, so that everyone who signed up for a free year is going to have to renew to see the new episodes. But at this point, I mean, look, Disney owns everything. Disney owns Star Wars. Disney owns Disney. Disney owns Marvel. Like, if you enjoy any of those, you'll get your money's worth. So... You have access to the whole Disney vault. Yeah, I'm now, Disney I, vault. Except for Songs of the South. It's <laughs> probably for the, the best. best. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but now I've become a corporate shill. We always knew this was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to it's get Disney more money. Con. I don't know. Something is cute. Take my money. I yeah. mean, yeah, like, no, exactly. That's how I feel, especially right now when I'm stuck at home. I'm like, yes, I would like this. It's the opposite of Marie Kondo. Like, I'm getting yeah. more shit. I Everything sparks joy. <laughs> so, no. Kristen, how would uh, Babu Freak say goodbye? Uh, hey, hey! <laughs> yeah, probably exactly the same. <laughs> okay, Hi, everyone. I, I, this I has been, uh, I, this has been mm-hmm. really fun. Thank you for doing this, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. Kevin, you know you're welcome anytime. Why do you think Mansfield Park episodes are our most yeah, popular? They're our <laughs> most popular because of you. I've always assumed oh, it, but never God. said it. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome back anytime you want to talk about jane austen although apparently we're going to talk about twin peaks now oh, yeah but this is also a twin peaks podcast now <laughs> yeah okay so it's a jane austen twin peaks crossover podcast and delorean okay but we will be back with you soon with more actual jane austen related content but thank you so much for joining us for our mini pod and Kristen, what do we say we have spoken oh i like it <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.